Welcome to Transformation Church RVA. This sermon is a part of our fall series, Created, Made for More, focusing our hearts toward biblical manhood and womanhood. God's beautiful design will lead us toward the flourishing He intends for us. Turning your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. Let me tell you something. I have a feat to be done today. It is 1046. And I almost want to just close service now. Because what's happened? Oh, somebody waved their hand at me. You better put that hand down. Man, this is too real in here today. Thank you, Lord. Okay. All right. I'm going to go long now. No. Um, Genesis chapter 3 is kind of where we're going to camp out. If this is your first time here, um, if you haven't been in a couple weeks, we are kind of at the latter end of a series called Created, Made for More. And just to sum up what we've been talking about is um, what makes a man a man and what makes a woman a woman, okay? Uh, Because it can't just be biological. It can't be just biological. I know plenty of boys. We saw some up here today, little boys. Um, and biology makes them a male, but it does not make them a man, right? It's a set of behaviors that make them a man. And the same thing for little girls. Um, lots of beautiful little girls up here today, but they are that. They were little girls. Um, and just because of their biology, that doesn't make them a woman. A set of behaviors makes them a woman. So how does the Bible define that? How does the Bible look at that? We preach the Bible here. And in fact, if you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible uh, in the pew in front of you, a little burgundy Bible. If you don't have a Bible at home, that's our gift to you. Um, We want you to know that what we preach here is just scripture. Um, And so in the following weeks, we started to peel apart manhood. And what we defined manhood as was we called it headship. Okay, the unique leadership of the man in the work of establishing order for human flourishing. Okay, so God created the man to work it and keep it. Those was his first orders right out front before woman ever got here. He was given the task to work and keep. Everybody say work it, keep it. Is there a TikTok that's something like that? I feel like my daughter's been singing a TikTok that's something like that. And I was like, oh, she remembers my sermon, but she wasn't. It was a TikTok. Um, And what we peeled apart was that what defines a man isn't his biology. It's that he sacrificially loves his family. What does a man look like? A man looks like somebody who rings himself out for his family. A man looks like someone who leads the charge on setting spiritual tone. A man looks like someone who keeps and protects the people that God has given him. That's what the Bible defines. And then um, a couple weeks later, we covered woman's purpose. Last week, we covered woman's purpose. And um, we defined that as helpmate, the unique leadership of women who serve God by helping men in the work of establishing order for human flourishing. And what we looked at was that phrase, a helper fit for him. And we had to peel apart helper first because there were a lot of 
misconceptions around the word helper. Like that women are subservient or the women um, uh, aren't equal to men, which is not biblical. In fact, what it is, is that God has called men to a unique, distinct role. And he has also called women to a unique, distinct role. And that role is to come alongside. We looked at the word helper, azer. And that that word helper is most often in the Old Testament attributed to God as our helper. So since every time, almost every time it's used in the Old Testament, it's used as an attribute of God, it brings honor to the position. So what we have is this complementarian, uh, we're meant to complete one another. You know, Jerry Maguire, you complete me, you know. Um, not complete, complement one another. Man, hear me men, you cannot do what God has called you to do without women. <laughs> easy now, easy. I have to tell you guys this like every week. Y'all real angsty, like, yeah. Don't do that. Don't be the Holy Spirit this morning. Women, you need men. And there's this, it, that almost, for some of you just now, put a bitter taste in your mouth. Let me tell you something. We need each other. And I'm not just talking husband and wife. I need my sisters in the faith to, to help lead the church that God has given us. We need Women, they are essential and not a second thought to the king of glory. Women weren't a second thought. They have uh, equal in dignity, value, and worth leading out in the distinct role that God has called them to. Men leading out in the distinct role God has called them to. One of the things we're going to talk about today very quickly, and I had a bunch of stuff here I was going to go through, but I don't think I'm going to have time. A couple weeks ago, we talked about man's hurdles. So we talk about a sacrificially loving man, and all the women were like, where are they? Why don't we find them? And what we found was that Scripture tells us men are prone to two buckets. Everybody say buckets. There are two buckets that most of man's sin fall into. One is selfish passivity. Men are prone to lay back. Men are prone to punt on their responsibilities. That's, that's our knee jerk. And they're also prone to selfish aggression. We saw it right here in 16. He said, a woman's desire is going to be for her husband, and the husband's desire, he's going to rule over her. Now, because of sin, he has a, sin brought this. Everybody say, sin brought it. This selfish aggression, selfish passivity. And so what we want to talk today about is the two buckets that women's hurdles, women's challenges fall into. So for men, if it's selfish passivity and selfish aggression, what is it for women? And what those two buckets for women are that we will see in Scripture is comparison, the bucket of comparison, and the bucket of perfectionism. The bucket of comparison the bucket of perfectionism. Now, this is not to say that there aren't men that struggle with any of these things. It's just it is more prominent in women. This is a thing that all women do um, and struggle with. 
at least most that I have met and what scripture would point us to. Um, Let's read together Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, and this is what we're going to kind of pick apart here. Genesis 3, 16, and it says this. Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen your pain in childbirth. In you, uh, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth, and you will desire to control your husband, and he will rule over you. Let me tell you what this immediately points us to. What was a byproduct of sin? And this is the term I want you to leave here with outside of redemption in Christ. Disordered desires. Say it. Disordered desires. We are prone to disordered desires. And, um, and we see it right here in the curse. Now, I've been in the pregnant, I've been in the birthing room. Anybody else been in the birthing room? Some of y'all been in there like too much. We need to get y'all a TV or something, some hobbies, uh, as you can see today. Um, was that funny? Yeah. I didn't plan on telling that one. Um, I've been in the room, and I've had friends that have been in the room. I remember a buddy of mine told me he was in the room with his wife, and he was really trying to do a good job. I didn't do a very good job on my first one. Uh, Walker, Texas Ranger was on the TV. It was a really good part of the episode. Um, so there was like this struggle. Um, no judgment. There's no judgment here. You don't, oh, you're so holy. Okay. I was watching Walker, Texas Ranger. And, um, but he was really trying to do a good job. Anyway, he told me that um, some hair had fallen down over his wife's face. Okay, and so he goes over to her, and he's like, you know, he's going to just tuck that hair in behind her ear. So he gets down, he gets down close to her, he tucks the hair in behind her ear and says, can I do anything for you? You know, just very, trying to do a good job. And she, 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 she leans kind of into his face and says, you can get out of my face. His challenge, he didn't know what to do now. Do I, do I actually get out of her face? Or is that going to make this thing worse? What does she want me to do? Um, so, and it's beautiful. It's a beautiful, beautiful process. A kind of a reminder of the brokenness. Um, because of sin that we have to go through so much pain to see life. You know, they kind of clean up the baby. They're kind of rough with those babies. Have you seen that? They're kind of, they're like, I'm like, you're going to break her. Um, please be careful. Um, and it's kind of amazing because for some reason they want to do it again afterwards. And I've always wondered why, and I found out this fact. Do you want to know what I learned while I was studying for this sermon? Breastfeeding releases in the mind of the mother chemicals that make her forget the pain of childbirth. Did you know that? I did not. That is amazing. So as they breastfeed this new, beautiful baby, they're just forgetting about the pain, which is why we're all still here, you know? That and the epidural. Um, some of y'all all natural folks are like, oh, you know, sorry. We changed our insurances just to make sure we could have an epidural. Um, 
But sin didn't just affect the external, okay? It also affected the internal. Look here at the end of 16. You will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. The very first result of sin we see is that our desires become disordered. Sin brings with it disordered desires um, for all hearts, but particularly we're talking about the woman's heart today, um, it plays out uniquely for women. Now, I believe it's taught rightly, you know, that there's always this knee jerk for the wife to kind of just try and squash her husband. Um, if you've ever been in a fight with your wife, you've seen it. Um, my wife is incredibly good at it. Um, and we talked actually a couple weeks ago that my wife's words, like you, I'm not going to go back into that story, but you could cuss me out after service today and I'm going to sleep soundly tonight. But if my wife has, if there's any inkling she's upset or something's not right, I'm upset. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what's going on. It affects our whole day. Um, but I don't think it goes to the root. I, 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 those are all symptoms the root is disordered desires that, um, and we see it in James. We're going to go here to James here in a second. That sometimes even good things, when elevated above Christ, when elevated too highly, become sinful. Did you know that? When you take desires and you elevate them to a place they shouldn't be, they will control you. Um, James, I'm going to James chapter 1. You can come there with me if you would like. Um, and it says this, James 1, 14 and 15. Temptation comes from your own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth, everybody say give birth, to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. I'll skip on over and read this as well. 4, 1, and 2 says in James, what is causing quarrels and fights among you? Have you ever asked that question? Why is everybody fighting? Watch. Don't they come from the evil desires that war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. Where does the quarreling, where does the strife and the rub in my life come from? Here. Some of us have a problem because we look at everybody else like they're the problem. My mom told me a long time ago, if everybody else is the problem, you need to look at yourself, right? Have you ever heard that? Anybody ever said that to you? Um, everyone under the sound of my voice this morning has a wickedness warring within you to rebel against the Lord. Did you know that? Some of the more righteous crowd may not have known that, but I wanted to make you aware that elevated desires become enslaving when you get your desires out of order, you will be enslaved to them. I, I, I would make the example like making a good living isn't a bad thing, right? 
And, and I've often told my friends that, look, I have no problem with you making a good living as long as you don't punt on, your, on righteousness or punt on your family, kick your family to the side to do it. But I've seen it where making a good living is elevated to the point where they do destruction in their path to go get it. It becomes sinful is what James would say. And it particularly... These disordered desires affects relationships between men and women. Hear me today. What are your desires? Okay? No matter what the desire is, whatever is ultimate to you is currently ruling you. I'll say it again. Whatever is ruling your heart and your mind is ruling you. And that's straight out of James. Whatever is ultimate. So two buckets. Let's get to women and their two buckets. And then I'm going to close. Where's my phone? Because look, I'm, I'm trying to get everybody to lunch so you can get to Wendy's on time. Okay. I'm so, we can only afford Wendy's. Okay. It's, I cut grass. Okay. I'm a pastor. <laughs> it's not hot bucket items for, you know. Anyway, two buckets, comparison, perfectionism. Comparison, we'll define this. Comparison is the disordered desire for approval and validation. Um, All throughout this series, uh, I've tried to point out, as Paul points out in Romans, that the world knows all these things, but they won't attribute it to God. The world sees and feels all the things that we preach, but they never attribute it to God. So I try, uh, I've been trying to quote some people who don't believe in God. So here, here's one of them. Um, Julia Oliphant said this, like it or not, we are all guilty of it. Hear me, ladies. Be it an inconspicuous glance at the girl browsing the same clothes shop window as you, or rather the more blatant stares at the girl sitting opposite on the tube. The tube is the subway. In a different country. We just can't seem to help ourselves. And a recent study has confirmed it. Women spend more time checking out other um, uh, women than they do the opposite sex. According to Dr. Carolyn Walters, a body image and women's sexuality specialist, it's not just other women's clothes we're checking out. It's every aspect of another woman's appearance, hairstyle, tan, shape, size, body hair, fat distribution, whatever we deem to be most important. She doesn't believe in God. Preaching the same message I'm preaching to you today, that disordered desires, elevated desires beyond what, um, and this particular one of comparison kills women. It is brutal to the female soul, this comparing something in itself is not sinful. It's when it's Elevated. Everybody say elevated. They're comparing, and I've, I've seen Kirsten do it, and my sister, and, and my mom. It's just this comparison game. Everywhere we go, oh, look, look over here. They're always looking. Like, I stare at people, but I'm not comparing anything. I just have a staring problem. Um, anybody else? Okay, just, yeah, okay, cool. Safe, safe place. Let me, let me, let me tell you how this um, fleshes out. Um, I like to call it mommy wars. 
Mommy Wars. You know who wins at Mommy Wars? You know who loses? Your kids lose. I see it all the time. I would go to pick up my kids from daycare, two moms over here talking. I just sent Cynthia to biology camp. And did you know if she goes through this and does this, she'll end up at a great college with a great career because she went to biology camp. And the other mom, I'm sure, was thinking, my kid just figured out how to put a s'more together. And so they're going to they're gonna fail in life. Just comparing. And all of a sudden, now there's a weight there. Moms, you know what I'm talking about. Men, hear this message today so you know how to encourage the women in your life. This isn't just a message to women about the challenges they have scripturally, about comparison and perfectionism. This is so men, we can come alongside our women and support them in the things we know they're wrestling with. It fleshes out in marriages. Um, Man, I wish my husband would do this. I wish uh, my spouse would do this. I wish my kids would do this. Corrine Sweet has this quote, listen. Firstly, it's only natural to compare yourself as it is, uh, as it gives you a fixed point of reference which can be reassuring. However, the harsh reality is that it's a cattle market out there and the commodity is male attention. Women are checking out the competition and identifying who the alpha female in the pack is. Women subconsciously put themselves in a hierarchy. This is not a Christian author. And I don't know how many women are willing to be honest in this place today, but I will tell you that comparison will kill your soul. And it doesn't seem like a lot at first, but it will whittle away and whittle away. Comparison is competition. And I'll tell you what it's a comparison and competition for. It's a comparison and competition for your identity. You're trying to figure out who you are, who Christ wants you to be. And comparison pulls you away from biblical identity. And so what you do in comparison is this. You try and build up this veneer. You know what I'm talking about. The Instagram role. You don't see any women posting on Instagram or Facebook like a selfie of like this massive zit they woke up to. And just like... Fantastic Friday. You know, no, nobody's posting that picture. They'll just be sitting at the dinner table uh, with a cup of coffee and their devotion open and be like, oh, this is a great Instagram pic. It never happens, but here it is. And so I'm going to take the picture and you try and build this veneer. Listen, an untrue image of oneself will always lead to insecurity and discontentment. Why is this important? Your security and contentment has to be found in your identity in Christ. And when you're constantly comparing, it pulls you away from that identity. And look, at Transformation Church, we preach this all the time. We would say it like this. We would say, we want you to be true to who you are. If you're struggling with sin, struggle with it. Let us know you're struggling with it. Let us walk alongside you. Be honest with where you are. Don't be afraid to be broken here. We're broken. 
Don't be afraid to be broken here. Because we can work with a lot of things, but we cannot work with someone. God cannot work with someone who is, um, can't be honest with themselves. And constantly fighting that identity. That insecurity, by the way, that insecurity. So for men, you know how men handle insecurity? We handle it physically. Like, I wish you would say something. You know, that, that kind of physical intimidation is how men handle insecurity. You know how women handle insecurity? With their words. With their words. Let me tell you something. And I could get fired for this, but that's okay. Women are vicious with their words. Vicious. And look, the women in this room know it. And it doesn't just start when they get older. I, draw, I remember the first time I came to daycare and I went to pick up Macy. And some of, there was a group of little girls over here playing. And she was going to go play with them for a minute. And they weren't having it. We don't want to play with you. I mean, I almost stiff-armed her to keep her out of the group. And she comes over me, just broken little heart. And everything in me, I didn't say it, but everything in me wanted to say, baby, don't you worry about it. Look at her face. That's not going anywhere. She's got no trajectory here, baby. Don't worry about it. I didn't say it. <laughs> Look, the judgment coming from your eyes today is so intense on me, it's like lasers. Vicious. Can I give you some examples real quick? Let's go to Proverbs. What does Proverbs say about it? If you haven't ever read Proverbs, incredible book to study. Proverbs 19, you ready? This is what, this is what the Word of God would say about Women and their words. 19 verse 13. Listen to this. This is crazy. A foolish child is a calamity to a father. A quarrelsome wife is as annoying as constant dripping. That's waterboarding, folks. You've heard of waterboarding? Get your quarrelsome wife. Yeah. That's what scripture says. And it doesn't stop there. Look, 21.9. It's better to live alone in the corner of an attic than with a quarrelsome wife in a lovely home. This is what the, the word of God is saying. Hey, bro, listen. It's going to be better if you go up in that attic and crawl up there and die than to be down here in this pretty house. Twenty-one nineteen. Look, it doesn't quit. It's better to live alone in the desert than with a quarrelsome, complaining wife. I don't know what you think of when you think of desert, but this isn't Palm Beach, folks. The Lord would say, hey, have you seen desert animals? They all look weird. They don't live long, okay? He's saying, go out in the desert. It's better for you to be there than in the home with a quarrelsome wife. And look, 
women are ferocious with their words. That's how they deal with their insecurity. Men deal with it in selfish aggression. Women deal with it with their words. And let me tell you something. Just let me speak to the hearts of our ladies this morning. Who are you? Who are you to sit in judgment of other men and other women? Are you so perfect? I know your, your Facebook posts would say so, and your Instagram posts maybe. But who are you that you can sit in judgment of other people and just cast shade and use your words to demean others? God hates gossip, even disguised as a prayer request. Mm. <laughs> Y'all don't know about that, do you? Yeah, yeah, God knows who you are. God hates gossip, even disguised as a prayer request. I'll give you this example, then I'm going to get ready to close. My wife is incredible, and I, I've brought her up a couple times in this message. There have been times I have completely, God has called me to be the best husband and father I can be, okay? To look like a husband and father after him. What we've talked about is I cannot do that without my wife. And so there's a way that women can use their words that will tear down and destroy. There's other ways that women can speak life that is more life-giving than any words a man will say. You know those women? I've had those women speak into my life. And let me tell you something. When me and Kirsten have had wrestlings, um, of course, she's come at it in ways where she's like, uh, so, so say, say we've been through a busy season. I remember a particular time we had been through a busy season. My schedule was crazy. And I remember her pulling me aside and being like, how can I help? How can I come alongside you? Because there's some things not happening at home that need to happen at home. What can I do to help? She didn't say, hey, do you hate your kids and wife? She didn't say that. No, because that would have just incited my flesh and I would have noticed what? I would have noticed all her weaknesses. But no, she came alongside me and she loved me and she course corrected me with grace and with wisdom. Ladies, hear me. The words you use are powerful. Scripture would say it over and over again. The power of life and death is in the tongue. Let me look at perfectionism real quick and I'll let you go. Perfectionism. Disordered, the disordered desire for righteousness and perfection apart from Christ. We see it in Genesis 3.6, okay? So y'all have seen the, the pictures of Adam and Eve in the garden, Right? Eve is tempted. Why was she tempted? Because the apple, Satan, came along and was like, hey, you can be like God. You can know good and evil. You can be like God. And that was what triggered her. This instant thought that I can be perfect. Here's an Atlantic article closing the confidence gap. Here's what it says. Underqualified, I love this first line, underqualified and underprepared men don't think twice about leaning in. Look, men do not have to be perfect. You can say, uh, I, all men will be like, I want a shot. You'll be like, you have to read, but you can't read. Okay, give me the book, let me try. 
they are not, men are not bothered by not being perfect. But listen to this, overqualified and overprepared, too many women still hold back. Women feel confident only when they are perfect or practically perfect. Study after study has shown that perfectionism is largely a female issue. Then this is written by a female, one that extends through women's entire lives. We don't answer questions until we are totally sure of the answer. We don't submit a report until we've edited it ad nauseum. And we don't sign up for the triathlon unless we know that we are faster and fitter than required. We fixate on the performance at home, at school, at work, at yoga class, even on vacation. We obsess as mothers, as wives, as sisters, as friends, as cooks, and as athletes. Perfectionism for women is a, fe- perfectionism is a female sport. Let's talk about mommy guilt. It's not just comparison. It's the feeling of I have to be the perfect mom. This whole, have you ever heard of psychological determinism? It's this idea that uh, uh, if you give me a baby, I can determine, I can, I can shape it into anything I want. Doctor, lawyer, whatever. which wars against how God has called us to train up a child in the way. We've taken this phrase, train up a child in the way they should go, and we've said, okay, I can make my kid godly. Let me, yeah, amen. I'm glad somebody's awake this morning. Let me take this weight off of you moms. Hear me. You can't make your kids godly. You can't make your kids godly. And you're going to fail. It's not always going to be perfect. But I'll tell you this. Perfectionism, comparison. You guys can go ahead and come up. because I'm going to close pretty quickly here. Comparison. Hear me, ladies. Comparison and perfection, when disordered, will enslave you. Perfectionism will brutalize the female soul. Why does this matter? Listen to this. I pulled these statistics yesterday. Suicide statistics reveal that women are roughly three times more likely to attempt suicide. though men are two to four times more likely to die by suicide. Compared to their male counterparts, women show higher rates of suicidal thinking, non-fatal suicidal behavior, and suicide attempts. While men are more likely to die as a result of a suicide attempt, women are more likely to engage in what is known as deliberate self-harm or self-injury. Deliberate self-harm involves any sort of self-harming behavior, whether or not the intent is to commit suicide. Hear this pastor today. There are women in your life who under the pressure and weight of comparison and perfectionism will have the thought cross their mind that this world and my family would be better if I wasn't in it. 
There are probably women in this room. And you would never admit it to anybody. Look, let's be honest. You'd never admit that to anybody. But the only thing that's kept your car on the road has been that you've got the kids in the back seat. The weight of comparison and perfectionism is where all the, most of the sinfulness of women will fall into one of these two buckets. And it will slowly kill your soul. As we close today, what are you saying, preacher? What's the point? You preach kind of long today and I'm hungry. I was going to try and shorten the message, but I need you to understand two things. And we're going to talk about some of it next week. What you are feeling, ladies, hear me. This isn't just for moms. It's for every lady in the room who has sat at home comparing herself to every magazine, every social media source, and said, that is where my identity needs to be. And I've fallen short of it. For every time that men, in their sinfulness, in their selfish aggression, has tried to lord over you, which, I will tell you this, men, you cannot lord over, demean, and suppress the daughters of the king before, you can't do it for long before he'll come after you. For every woman in this room who came in here this morning struggling with these disordered desires and it's become sinful it's become weighty you don't talk about it because it's not something you talk about There are men and women here who want to point you towards your identity in Christ. You don't have to live under that weight. There is no comparison outside of Christ. There is no comparison outside of Christ. And there is freedom. I want everybody in this room to say freedom. There is freedom from every enslavement to perfectionism and comparison today for you. Thanks for streaming this audio from Transformation Church RVA located in Richmond, Virginia. For more information, check out our website at www.transformationrva.com.